Lorenzo's a fast talker. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we all appreciate it when you don't. <laughs> oh, how's everybody doing? Mark, it's great to see you. Hi. I don't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the week before that, right? <laughs> you ever look up and just not expect to see one? Someone? No, I'm just kidding. I got a joke that's right up your alley. You'd like this. It's a Texas joke. Hallelujah. You guys, you know, I have found out that there's a little bit of a rivalry between California and Texas. I don't know where this began or how this was. So this is not in the spirit of that rivalry. I just thought it was funny when I heard on the radio. But many of you will probably not think it's funny. So let's practice our courtesy laugh right now. (laughs) That's why I needed you here this morning. (laughs) So there was this little boy who entered an art contest. And and he drew the the story of the three... um, Persian astrologers, the three Persian wise men, who came to bring gifts to Jesus at his birth. And uh, so he drew, you know, Jesus and the wise men. In the background, he drew a big fire truck, a big red fire truck. And so he won, he ended up winning the contest. And one of the uh, older gentlemen who came was a judges. He said, whatever inspired you to draw a fire truck in the midst of this three wise men scene. You know, I'd have thought you might have had cactus and desert moons and all that kind of stuff, you know. And the kid said in his best thick West Texas accent, I tell you what, the Bible says that the three wise men came from afar. (laughs) You'll get that when you think about it. (laughs) I can't do it. I'm sorry. I I can't. I'm a northern boy. I try to hide it, but I can't do it. So, the <laughs> far, <laughs> oil, oil. Guess that's oil or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> oil. But uh, I, I don't have the dialect. I'll never. Yeah, it's, anyway, <laughs> you imagine people who try to learn English and they start in Texas and then get a job in Minnesota. You know. <laughs> so uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. If you have one, if you don't have one, uh, we got some in the back. Uh, Ushers, if you can come on forward, and if you want one, want to follow along. Uh, All Bibles have a table of continents, 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 (laughs) table of continents. Earth has seven. (laughs) Bible has, anyway. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 24. We've been talking about a lot of the greats. Uh, in world history, uh, Adam, Eve, Noah, Abraham, basically the whole book of Genesis. Uh, now we finally switch gears and we meet up with Mo, Moses. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to start there. Before we do that, you know, there's an interesting story that comes out of the state of Indiana. And it's about a man who had a, a breakfast business breakfast. And the, the thing about Indiana is it's, it's, you know, I'm sure we have some cities like that here in California, but it's one of those old kind of towns where there's just one main street. You got businesses on both sides and then that's it, you know. So in the center of town, there's this uh, restaurant and a lot of business deals go down at this restaurant. This guy was going and going to do a business deal at the restaurant. On his way in, he sees a man 
And the man is walking down the street. And he's got one of those signs that says, we'll work for food. And, and it struck the man because, you know, he, he sees a lot of signs. And a lot of the signs say, you know, uh, I'm hungry, please. Or, I mean, uh, uh, I need money, please help. Or, you know, all these kind of things. But this particular sign said, we'll work for food. And for this guy, he was a business guy and everything. It really kind of, you know, spoke to him. He liked that approach. Uh, he drove right by him, didn't give him any money, but he thought, you know, if I was to ever have to do that, that's the way I would do it. So he gets into the meeting, and he has the, you know, he's sitting around there with the other uh, men in the meeting, and the man comes in, and he asks the waitress, hey, is there anything that I can do to work here at the restaurant, sweep something or clean something? I'm hungry, I'd like some food. And the waitress said, no, we don't got no work around here, honey. And the man thought, wow, that's kind of odd, you know, for for her to say that. So when she came back, give, give a refill of coffee, he said, you know, I'm just curious. Why didn't you offer the man any work? He had a sign on it said, it'll work for food. And, he, and she looked at him and said, hey, listen, nobody's going to do my job and take it away. Uh-uh. Next thing I know, he starts doing what I'm supposed to do, and I get fired, and he gets my job. Uh-uh. Nobody comes in here and does any work that I'm supposed to do. That's my work. He said, okay, well, I guess that's one way to look at it. And, you know, I think the man just wanted a meal. But all right, you know, and he, he goes on, and, and he goes on about his day. As he's driving home, true story, as he's driving home, he just, his heart begins to beat. Uh, at first he thought maybe he was, you know, you know whatever, uh, rhythmia or whatever, but it, it just, it was more that feeling you get when you've done something wrong, you know, and your heart begins, just a real deep conviction in his heartbeat. And so he's just kind of thinking about it, and immediately his thoughts went to that man who had the sign, we'll work for food. And so he's kind of, you know, he's kind of thinking, you know, maybe I should turn around and try to find him, see if he still needs some food. Maybe nobody gave him any work. He's like, ah, that's, the, who does that, you know? Come on, let's be sensible. We must be sensible about these things. Yeah, he doesn't know the man who knows what kind of background he has? Yeah, I'm just going to keep driving home. I got my wife and kids waiting for me. I've had a full day. You know, who needs to take time out for something like that? But his heart just keeps beating. He's like, you know, I, I got a choice to make here. I either got to figure something out or go with it. He says, you know what? Why not? He turns around the car. He drives back into the town in Indiana. And at first he doesn't see the man. But then on the outskirts, he kind of sees the man walking and he drives up to him and says, hey, sir, I saw you this morning. Uh, would it be okay if I bought you something to eat? The man looked at him and said, yeah, sure. And the man said, I'm sorry. The only restaurant in town uh, we got is this one. I know they're kind of rude to you, but can I take you there? He says, sure, I'll be fine. So he takes him there and starts talking to him. And, and he finally says, so what's your deal? You know, what, what, what made you homeless? He said, oh, well, uh, actually, I chose to be homeless. And the guy kind of goes, what? You chose to be homeless? Who makes that kind of choice? And, uh, you know, the man looks at him and says, well, you know, who makes the kind of choice to invite a stranger who they don't know, who obviously has no money, to have a meal? He said, well, you know, I guess we all make choices. He said, well, what's in the bag? What do you got in the bag? He said, well, I got a change of clothes. And he said, I got Bibles. That's what I do when I earn the money. Uh, I buy food for myself, and then I buy Bibles. And then when I uh, find people who are struggling or who are hurting or, you know, who need some guidance or need God in their life, I give them a Bible. man goes, wow, that's a, 
really neat thing to do. I never thought of a homeless person doing that or that somebody would dedicate their lives to walking America, giving out Bibles. Well, you know, some people make that choice. It all comes down to choices, doesn't it? And I says, well, yeah, I guess it does. And so uh, he goes, well, you know what? I got a Bible in my car. Why don't we go out to my car? I'll give you my Bible. And the man goes, well, that'd be great. So they start walking out, and the man opens his door, leans in, get, brings out his Bible, gives him his Bible. And the man takes the Bible, and as he's putting it in his sack, the guy reaches back and wants to give him a bookmark that he had that go with the Bible. And he turned around to give him the bookmark. The man was just gone. Just gone. Just wasn't there. And in the radio program, the man said, you know, I just paused for a moment. One of the most profound moments I've ever had in my life. And I just closed my eyes and I looked up and I said, thank you, God. I really needed that. I really needed that. I needed to know. I needed to know that you're out there. I needed to know that, that, that you were real. I needed to know that there was something more than just going to business meetings day in and day out. I needed to know that there was a spiritual side. And as he recalled it, he said, and it never would have happened if I had not made the choice in my car. He said, the pivotal moment in my life was not when I turned around and the man wasn't there. The pivotal moment in my life was when my heart was beating in my car and I made the choice to go for it rather than just go on home, play it safe, do what I've always done, and get what I've always had. So this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about choices. Every day, we choose one direction or another in life. And the fact of the matter is, nothing is harder than to learn how to say no to the things we need to say no to at the right time or to say yes to the things we need to say yes to at the right time. When we were at the Crossroads um, Youth Facility uh, a few years ago now, it was one, I think it was the first one I was at, so it had been about three years ago, uh, I remember I was, I was talking with one of the kids in there, and he said, Pastor... He said, just like this, Pastor, I got a long list of things in my life that I feel terrible about and a very short list that I'm proud of. And I began to kind of feel bad for him. And he goes, you know what? Don't feel bad for me. These were all because of decisions I made. And it made me thinking from that point on, you know what? Really our lives, who we are, what we do, and what we become, they're really the product of our decisions, aren't they? They're the product of what we chose. When we were in that car and our heart was beating, did we choose to turn around and go grab a hold of a supernatural event or just keep driving straight on home? Playing it safe, but never taking the risk that there's something deeper, something more out there to life. And so every day we choose one direction or another. And my point this morning is very simple. We all make our choices. And I know it's going to be a little different than what I wrote up there. In fact, what I wrote up there, I wrote earlier this week. And then as I've read and reread and really thought about what I wanted to say this morning, I came up with a different sentence because this is the one I think that really encaptures not only the scripture we're going to talk about, but what I sense the Lord saying is this. We make our choices, and then our choices turn around and make us, don't they? We make our choices, and then our choices turn around and make us. Please go with me 
to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll begin with verse 24 as we talk about Moses. Lord God, we pray you'd open up our minds to be open. God, as, 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 as this, this message is taught, I pray that each and every one of us would just find that one thing, God, that one thing, or maybe the two or three things, God, that we're supposed to have a conversation with this week as we reflect on the things outside of the routines of life, outside the food that's to be eaten, the work that's to be done. God, the purpose of our lives lived as you'd open up this passage from the Bible to us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Verse 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now just stop right there. Check out that verse. By faith, when Moses had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Many of you may not know the story, but it kind of goes like this. Moses is a Hebrew living with the Egyptians. All right? The Pharaoh begins to get nervous about all of these highly reproductive Hebrew families. And so he makes a decree that all of the firstborn boys are to be killed to kind of do a little bit of population control, even a little bit of genocidal tendencies there to just get rid of all these Hebrew boys. Moses' parents, in a desperate, God-led effort, put Moses in a basket. He drifts down the Nile River a little bit, hoping that an Egyptian family would find him. Well, not only does an Egyptian family find him, but Pharaoh's daughter finds him, adopts him, and brings Moses up as one of her own. Many people do not realize the first 40 years of Moses' life, he was a prince to the most powerful man on earth. He was a prince to Pharaoh. He grew up in their school system. He grew up learning their arts of war. He grew up knowing architecture and culture. He grew up a full Egyptian. And there's a lot of things in the story to suggest that his Hebrewness was hid from the other people so that he would not be treated any differently. He was in every way a son of Pharaoh. And then we come to this verse. I don't know about you, but it sounds pretty outright ungrateful of Moses to treat the son of, to, to, to refuse to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter when she rescued him, when she raised him, when she gave him the best of everything. He was probably second or third most powerful man in the world. Because of what she'd done. He is at the height of his power. And he refuses it. And the way the Bible says it, he refuses to be known, even known, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? Well, I think to answer that question, let's do a little example in our own context. How many of you have ever heard of the name Letty Tyler? No. Oh, she was cool. How about this? Margaret Wilson. I'll call her Maggie. Maggie Wilson. Anybody know her? Nobody? Man, you guys just don't know anybody. All right, how about this? Eliza Monroe. Eliza Monroe. Nobody knows them. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Maybe some of you will know this, maybe not. Julie Nixon. We know her? Ooh, some of you know her. You know her? Mavis, you know who is she? President's daughter. Yeah. How many of you know who Amy Carter is? 
Another president's daughter. How about Caroline Kennedy? Kennedy. Talk about the Pharaoh's daughter. No, just kidding. <laughs> Jenna? Chelsea? Alice? <laughs> In Wonderland. <laughs> Alice Roosevelt. They're all presidential daughters, but the undeniable fact about all them is we know them by their last names, not by their first names. I think Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter precisely because she was Pharaoh's daughter. Although he loved and appreciated her, he did not want to be joined in anyone's mind with the Pharaoh whose lifestyle and religion he rejected. You have to understand, Pharaoh was not a nice man. In fact, Pharaoh would not even speak to any of you. You know how Pharaohs communicated? They thought, Pharaohs thought that they were the divine son of God. They abused people. They murdered people. They exploited people. They reigned over people. They, the rules did not apply to them kind of people. They oppressed foreigners. They owned everything in Egypt and governed in complete control and fear. It's amazing when I lived in Egypt, as you go to all these tourist sites, all the the modern archaeological Egyptians, they reveled in the fact that they had these pharaohs that ruled in complete control and fear. And I'm thinking to myself, these are the guys we're still thinking about? I think these are the guys history ought to forget. They're definitely not worthy of remembrance. Do you know how they communicated with people like us? Do you think they would talk to us? Well, they say, Vicky, come over here and give me a glass of water. Nope. You know how they did it? They clapped and servants would come running. Do you know what the servant had to do? The servant had to figure out what the Pharaoh wanted. You know what happened if the servant was wrong? No, well, off with your head, yeah. <laughs> Even Pharaohs had their limits. <laughs> but they would go into dungeons. Remember the story of Joseph? Joseph, the cupbearer and the baker? Why were they there? They didn't get the clap right, did they? Pharaohs would clap and people would come running. Obviously, they had official discourse and stuff like that. But we're talking about people who you would not want to meet. They would make Adolf Hitler look like Mickey Mouse. And so, point number one, Moses chose to be countercultural because his culture was nothing but exploitation and abuse of the enslaved peoples. And by the way, it wasn't just the Hebrews. We're talking about Hittites, Cushites. There's a whole bunch. I mean, Egypt extended this kind of totalitarian influence way beyond just the Hebrews. But Moses was obviously called to the Hebrews, being a Hebrew himself. When he got... The irony of it all for Moses' life is that when he got to the height of his power, he gave it all up. He refused it, he relinquished it, and he let it all go. Moses made a choice. And for many of us, we probably think we're supposed to live in Egypt because we get so anesthetized sometimes to the abuses in our own society and culture that happened. But Moses took a good look at around him and said, you know what? 
rather than be one of them, I need to pull myself out of this because this isn't working. And Moses did the one thing that's so hard for any of us to do. He dared to be different, to become countercultural, to be counted among the mocked and the suffering rather than lay in the lap of luxury in Egypt. And that was a defining decision in his life. Point number two, Moses chose lasting pleasure over temporary pleasure. Verse 25 says he, mo he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures, pleasures of sin for a short time. I can't tell you how many people, when they hear pleasures of sin, they automatically think to sins of the body, carnal pleasures. Oh, Moses was, you know, he chose not to smoke dope, or Moses chose not to be an alcoholic, or Moses chose not to go around to all the brothels and all that, you know, and it, immediately we get there. But the fact of the matter is, the sin wasn't just all these little defines. It was the sin of Egypt in putting in slavery and exploiting whole people groups and civilizations. I don't know about you, but power is a rush. When I look at somebody and say, do this, and they do it, or when I look at someone and say, do this, or you're going to be dead, I can't imagine a bigger stroke than that. That is affirmation at its sickest, darkest way, but it is affirmation. It makes you feel, you feeling strong today? That makes you feel strong. Strong. Moses had that. Moses had that. Was he worried about getting drunk, getting high, or having girls? <laughs> Those were low on the totem pole for a guy who could have anything he wanted. What Moses and these pharaohs were after is they had attained so much that finally by the end of it, they're going for the whole enchilada, which was power. And so it says Moses walked away from sin. It was the sin of exploiting whole people groups, whole, I mean, yeah, sure, there's there, everything else that we get entangled with, but it's far deeper than that. Moses saw what was happening. He just couldn't stand it anymore. And he made a choice to break from that which was comfortable to him, dare to be different, and choose the uncomfortable. Amen? There's, uh, I'll just keep going. Point number three. Moses chose secured debt, secured wealth over unsecured debt. John D. Rockefeller was an amazing man in American history. Uh, by the time he was 23 years old, he had become a millionaire. Uh, he was pumping the fields, the oil fields of Texas dry. In fact, by the end of the 19th century, he had monopolized and dominated most of the Texas oil uh, that we had. He, in fact, he, his reach extended over into Bakersfield. He was the, really the, the beginning of Standard Oil Company. By the time he was 50, he had become the world's first billionaire. Billionaire. Nobody in all human history had earned a billion dollars. And John D. Rockefeller earns a billion dollars, and he's 50 years old. He's at the height of his power until something happens to him at 53. He contracts a terminal illness. 
And at 53, he has a meeting with his doctors, and his doctors say this. Mr. Rockefeller, we may be able to cure you. We may be able to save you, or we may not. But it'll probably cost you everything you have to save your life. A billion dollars. And, he said, and they said, you know, we're going to leave you. You come contact us. This is your choice. Once again, comes back to choice, doesn't it? Just then, as he's sitting at his desk pondering what to do, he gets a letter from the local mission board who is sending uh, doctors and stuff, you know, overseas to, for medical missions. And uh, they want a donation from him. And he had never, never done this. And the way he tells the story in his memoirs, he had kind of two letters. The note from the doctor where he could spend all his money to save his own life and another letter in his hand where he could spend all his money to save the lives of the world. He had a choice. And he said, you know what? I'm going to choose the second. He sets up the John D. Rockefeller Foundation. That foundation affects you personally in three ways. First of all, it was through the research of that foundation that we got penicillin. Second of all, he developed a, beyond quinine, a cure for malaria. And third, uh, the research finally gave us the vaccine for the disease tuberculosis. Two choices. And of course, the, the, all the missionaries went out and everything on. The doctors gave months to live, and he exceeded their expectations by years, just going it by himself. He didn't live very long. He wasn't, didn't live into his old age. But he lived beyond what the doctors gave him, or perhaps what the doctors could have given him anyway. What's my point? My point is this. He chose that secured wealth, that sense of living not just for himself but living for others, and knowing that someday God would see all that, not in an attempt to earn it, but in an attempt to respond to all of the incredible blessing that God had given him. Why would a man do something like this? Well, the point is in the verse. Go to verse 26. It says, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. In other words, the disgrace of setting up all of these other things as opposed to trying to still be his own emperor. He regarded the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He was looking ahead. There's a story told in World War II about Winston Churchill. And what's interesting is on the internet when you read about this, oh my goodness, there are people who still fight over this decision to this day as to whether or not he made the right one. It's in the heat of World War II and the Nazis, the Germans, they had a, a code, right? Uh, you know, a little secret code where they would send their messages in code so that the English wouldn't know their code. Well, they broke the code, right? The English break the code, so now they're reading all of these secret messages from the German army. And one of the messages comes in during the Battle of Britain that the Germans are going to fly over and bomb the town of Coventry which is in England. And they come to Winston Churchill and they say, we need to make preparations to evacuate the town of Coventry. 
you know, Winston Churchill, white as a ghost, you know, walks over to his fireplace, and he's twirling his uh, cigar in his uh, hands. And they're, they're, they're throwing all these figures of what it's going to take to evacuate the town, and he says, gentlemen, we are not going to evacuate the town. He says, if we evacuate that town, the Germans will know that we broke their code. He said, we need to make a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain. We give in now, they may have a much more highly valuable target that we're going to need to prevent in the future. And so he did what people have debated on for the last 70 years. He did nothing. He took the note, stuffed it in his desk, and commanded all of his generals and people to say nothing. And sure enough, Coventry got bombed, and there was sacrifice. But overall, the code-breaking of, uh, of the British allowed for the D-Day invasion, uh, and they were able to you know, end the war a lot quicker. Who knows what would happen in history uh, had they saved that little town and yet let the Germans know they had the secret code. It's that sense of having the long-term vision. Moses had that long-term vision of the reward of heaven rather than, yeah, he had the temporary kingdom of Egypt, but he saw what was invisible to so many of us, the long-term reward of heaven. That's why the world doesn't know what to do with people like Moses. He can't be bought off. He can't be paid off. He can't be financially manipulated. He can't be coerced. We don't like him simply because he lives more for the eternal reward than the temporary rewards. Why? Because he saw that the eternal rewards was unsecured wealth compared to the debt of temporary rewards. Number four, Moses chose to fear God more than the government. I can't think of an easier time in American history than to make that point. <laughs> uh, you know, I will just let it stand. We'll read the verse. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And then last but not least, number five, Moses chose rebirth over religion. Verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Egypt. Worship team, if you could come forward. Moses chose rebirth over religion. Egypt had a religion one of the highest religions of its day. They even had a son of God. His name was Pharaoh. You know how I know that? By the name of Ramses. Ra was the sun god. Moses, or M-E-S-E-S, means son of. So he literally named himself son of God. That was his name. Hey, I'm son of God. Who are you? How do you respond to that, you know? <laughs> Moses could have stayed in religion. 
could have stayed worshiping a sun god he could reach out, see, and touch. But they would remain enslaved Hebrews. He would be a Hebrew in hiding for the rest of his life. But instead, he chose rebirth. What happened as the Hebrews came out of Egypt in the Exodus? They became reborn. Reborn from being slaves in Egypt to the free people of God. And that's the same exodus that the cross brings us to. From being slaves to the fear and confusion of the world to being the free people of God. Being released from only the temporary reward of being emperor on earth to the reward of an eternal heaven. That rebirth. When I was in seminary, uh, you can actually pick your heads up for a second. I'll tell you another quick story to illustrate the grace. When I was in school, I got a test that was so hard. I, I, it was probably the only test in my life I almost wanted to cry at. It was just so hard. This test used words like anti-disestablishmentarianism. It's the longest word in the English language. I had some anti-disestablishment about the pre-exilic pre Hebrews in the post-Mosaic world, something like that. Comment on it in the ABCD. I'm thinking to myself, what have I got myself into? This school is hard. I have never got, I mean, I, I'm, you know, halfway through the test, I think I've done like four questions. I'm realizing, oh my goodness, I will never finish this test or get this right. All of a sudden, this girl next to me is trying to hand me a note. And I'm thinking, what am I, in junior high? You know, what are you trying to hand me a note for, you know? She's, she's like, you know, erratically kind of, you know, doing it. So finally, I look at the note. She says, go look at the last question of the test. I think to myself, I'm not going to look at the last question of the test. I can't even get through the third question of the test. Why am I going to try to skip ahead? So I'm just like, you know, I don't want to get caught cheating. Just don't bother me, you know? Get away from me. She keeps shoving this note in front. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So finally, okay. I flip through. I go to the last question of the test. And it says, if you want an automatic A, just sign here, and you can turn your test in right now. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, oh, that's way too easy. That's way too easy. But I look at her. She signs it, goes up, and hands it in. I'm thinking to myself, I ain't doing very well on this test anyway. <laughs> I don't even know half the words on this test. On the odd chance that there's some truth to this, I went ahead and signed my name and turned the test in. Then I'm poking the guy next to me. Hey, read the last question. He reads the last question. I go, go turn your test in. He goes, no, I'm not going to do it. I said, why? He goes, no, I don't need to sign this. I can ace this test without it. So he proceeds to do the whole test, gets a C minus, which was the best grade in the class. That's what grace is for us a lot. What Jesus did on the cross is a statement of what we can't do for ourselves. And it's a lot like that test, going to that very back answer, signing it and saying, here's my name. I can't, I'm never going to pass this test. This test is unpassable for me. So I'm going to take the risk. I sign my name, and it comes back an A. You know what happened? I got an A. I got an A on the test. The professor stuck to his word. 
Moses chose rebirth over religion. I invite you to make the same choice today. Who knows, maybe you are driving in that car and your heart starts beating. God knows if you make a U-turn, he's got a supernatural encounter for you. Or we could play it safe, go home, eat dinner, watch the news, dying in our beds many years from now, never having the thrill of taking that risk to see if there was something more out there. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, as we close today with a song and with a prayer, God, I ask you that you would help us to see Moses, a man who at the height of his power chose suffering with the people of God rather than to lay in the lap of luxury in Egypt because he saw he who is invisible and the reward that is eternal as of greater value than the temporary pleasures. In fact, this morning, why don't we all, uh, if you want to, you don't have to, but if you want, just affirm that rebirth for yourself. Just go ahead and pray with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I ask for forgiveness of all my mistakes, all my sins. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to make that U-turn. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we all stand?